Thanks for listening to the Create Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. I'm really excited about this morning. We're in the middle of a series called Creating an Oasis. And we're walking through the vision, the values, and the culture of, of the church that we're building together and the future of our church. Super, super important series. If you've missed the last couple messages, go back on the podcast, listen to the last two messages. They all build on each other and they're all pointing towards the culture of the church that we're building. But today, I want to share a message with you revolving around the topic of joy. Come on, who needs a little joy in their life this morning? We're going to get it. We're going to get some joy this morning. Uh, A mentor in my life, someone who I consider really a hero in the faith and a mentor in my life, shared a message on joy just a little over five years ago, and it was so good. I wanted to bring him here to share it. It didn't work out. (laughs) So I got his notes, and uh, I'm going to be sharing uh, some of this message uh, that he preached five years ago. I'm going to be sharing some notes from that message, as well as some of my own thoughts revolving around a specific passage where Paul is talking about joy in some pretty unfortunate circumstances. And so we're going to kind of dive into this topic together and really take a deep look at how we can live with joy in all circumstances. And just to reinforce this concept for our church. But as we get started, I just want to be clear about something. There are really only two kinds of people in the world, okay? There's dog people and there's cat people. Okay, where's my dog people at, okay? Raise your hand. Thank you. That's right. That's, I knew we were building a healthy church. Okay, where's, where's my cat people? Okay, there, you can exit down, you can exit right here through the back doors. Uh, there's a bus that's going to take you to Rock Harbor. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, but no, there's two kinds of people, okay? There are people that make their bed, and there's people that never make the bed. Now, where's my bed-making people at? Oh, wow. That's more than I expected. Where's the people that are like, hey, I'm sleeping there in 12 hours? I'm, yeah! <laughs> All right, listen, the people that make the bed have been reading too much Jocko Willink, okay? You're waking up at 4.30 a.m. like staff sergeant's about to tear through your bedroom like, is this the crease in your sheet? You know, like that's, that's not going to happen, guys. Like it's, it's just you, okay? Unless your wife's the staff sergeant, then watch out. But uh, then you might want to make your bed. Uh, no, but I've always been the guy who's like, I'm not going to, that's a time hack in life. I'm not wasting eight and a half minutes on that. Like, you know, I could, I could play with my kids or something. <laughs> See, look at that. See how I turned that into something positive? Look at that. Uh, but it all comes down, really, there's two types of people. Uh, how do you pronounce this word? Three, two, one. Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. It's Jif, okay? <laughs> it's Jif, and I can prove it to you. Why? Because the inventor of the word, or, or, or I guess the acronym, says it's Jif like the peanut butter. Come on now, now it's settled, okay? Now all of you repent that said gif, okay? You got it wrong. No, but to be honest, there's two types of people. There's people that set an alarm at 6 a.m. and they get up, and there's people that set like 50 alarms. You know what I'm talking about? Like pop, 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 all the way down through it. So, so there's two types of people. My wife is the person who sets their alarm at 6 a.m., I'm the guy who sets an alarm at 5 a.m. so that I can wake up at 6 a.m. Okay, every 15 minutes, just so my body can start to get acclimated to uh, being alive uh, in the world. <laughs> so, so two types of people. There's people that dip their fries in ketchup and people that dip their fries in fry sauce. Fry sauce people. Ketchup people. Y'all moved here from California, didn't you? 
I see you. No, no. But if you are from Idaho, you know that fry sauce is the only way to go. Uh, there's two types of people. There's the people that go zero inbox. The little red bubbles give them anxiety. And there's people like me. Show this my screenshot. 43,398 unread emails. So if you've been emailing Pastor Landon, he hasn't replied. That's why. I'm working on it. Uh, 43,398 emails. I don't know why I constantly am wondering how I'm drowning in work. Um, <laughs> so, but, but, but here's the deal. There are two types of people. And all those are fun. And those are just kind of ones that don't really matter. But there are indeed two types of people. And I think this one really matters. I think this one matters more than maybe the other ones do. And there's, that's those of you who see the glass as half full. And those of you who see the glass as half empty. People see the glass as half full and people that see it as half empty. Now, what does that really matter? Like you might say, like, who cares? Like, especially if you're one of the people that sees it as just kind of the glass is kind of half empty. You might be saying, well, listen, that's just my personality. You should see my Enneagram number, okay? Like I, I know this is really just who I am. My strengths finders and my, you know, my personality tests would all point to me just being a little more cynical, like a little more pessimistic, a little more negative. It's just kind of my wiring. It's the way that I was designed, the way that I am it, doesn't really matter, but I want to argue today from the scriptures that I believe it really does matter, and there's something special about understanding the resurrected Christ that labels our lives with optimism. Our lives should be labeled with optimism, a hopeful outlook, because when we think about this, like, we know the end game. Like, we know how this story ends, so as we move through, through life and as we move through uh, just this idea uh, uh, over the next several weeks as we establish our culture, I really want to talk today about gospel-driven optimism. Gospel-driven optimism. I want to talk to you about having fun. I want to talk to you about celebrating the wins. I want to talk to you about the kind of church that we're going to have, and that's going to be a church that is optimistic a church that's excited, a church that's fun. Come on, how many of you want to have fun when you come to church? I do too, I do too. I don't think church should be a boring place. I don't think it should be a place where you leave and you're like, God, thank God, you Lord, I praise you that that's over. I worship you, but thank God it's over. No, 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 it should be a place that we're like, God, I can't wait to go next Sunday. Okay, listen, listen. Laramie and Morgan, our worship directors, okay, took off and went to the mountains, had like a great time, enjoying their anniversary. How many years have you guys been together? Nine years, come on, let's go, almost a decade together, and they took off. Listen, they are off this weekend. They shouldn't even be here, but they said, man, we love our church, and we're coming this morning just to sit in the front row. Come on, that's awesome. I love that our culture is attractive like that. I love that, but here's the deal. Optimism can kind of feel like a neutered term, kind of like, ah, like who cares? Why does it really matter? Like, oh, like think happy thoughts or good vibes, Right? That's how, some of you are thinking, like, are you trying to hit me with, like, some self-help this morning? No. <clears throat> I promise you. This is not self-help. I know some of you might be skeptical right now. You may even been, be bent or leaning towards kind of that cynical side. You may be thinking, like, come on, don't give me that self-help stuff. And I promise you, this isn't just self-help. This is something that really, really matters. In fact, optimism is defined like this, hopefulness and confidence about the future. Hopefulness and confidence about the future. So when you put it like that, hopefulness and confidence about the future, like think about it, that's a basic fundamental truth of Christianity, is it not? 
Hopefulness about the future. Confidence about the future. Hopefulness, believing the best about the future. Confidence in what God is doing. And when you're optimistic in the midst of obstacles, you can appear foolish. Some people, when you're going through hard times and you're optimistic, they're like, man, this person's naive. They're, they're ignorant. That They're a fool. In fact, in a day of skepticism and so much negativity, more than I think we've ever seen in our lifetime, I've heard and read and seen more. I mean, you turn on the news and think about it. What do we see? Violent act after violent act. Shooting after shooting. Like, bombs after bombs. Pointless racism. Like, over and over again. We see these things throughout our society over and over and over again. And it's easy for us to see these things and to be drifting and pulled almost like a magnet towards negativity. Towards these negative emotions, towards cynicism, towards being a skeptic, towards being one of these people who's just kind of in a bitter place in life. It can feel like you're swimming upstream. It can feel like you're going against the current when you're being optimistic in the face of situations like this. Because everybody, like think about it at work, right? Everybody at the water cooler wants to talk about like the drama, what's going on. And it's really easy to, like, make fast friends when people are sitting there at the water cooler talking about, like, yeah, you hear about this and you hear about them and what's going on over there. And it's like, it's like for some reason, people bond over gossip. People bond over negativity. And that's how fallen and broken that our world is. It can feel, though, when you choose optimism, like you're swimming upstream from that. So watch out for the people that try to pull you in with drama, pull you in with gossip, and pull you in with negativity. Be, be wary of that in your everyday life. <coughs> Excuse me. When, we are most te- when are we most tempted, though, to have a critical spirit? When are we the most tempted to have a critical spirit? I think it's when, when we feel like God's let us down, right? When we feel like we expected something from God and we've been let down. When we feel like something was going our way and then all of a sudden it's not going our way. And so this morning, I want to show you from the scriptures here in just a moment a similar situation, and someone maybe thought it was going a different way, and they ended up in a poor situation, but instead of choosing to be cynical, and instead of choosing to be angry, they chose joy. Because I think all of us get in these moments when we face the similar situation, and we're like, God, where are you? Right? Like when you're in trouble, God, where are you? You're supposed to be helping. I thought you were good. You're supposed to be there for me. Where are you in this situation? Why do I feel so lost? But this, is, this morning, I think we're going to talk a little bit deeper about this idea. So let's jump in uh, to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Philippians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. Open it up. Go to the YouVersion Bible app on the App Store if you don't have it. It's an amazing tool. Um, there's Bible plans on there. You can search the entire Bible um, by keyword. Uh, it's just an incredible. You can listen to the Bible audibly so that while you're driving, you can listen to it. It's an incredible app. If you don't have it, download it. YouVersion Bible app. Scroll there with me. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. It's where we're going to be today. And I, I know if you're in here and you're a cynic or a skeptic or a pessimist, you might just be saying, listen, Landon, I'm, I'm not those things. I'm just a realist. Okay. I'm just, I'm just a realist. And, and I get it, but I would just say, no, you're not. <laughs> you're a glass half empty kind of person. And that is the lens through which you see the world. And I want you to see that if you're still skeptical, I, I want you to know how that affects you. And so I want to show you how optimism, on the other hand, inspires others. Optimism sees opportunity and optimism always overcomes. So this morning we're talking about gospel driven 
optimism. And I'm just going to set this up. So Paul has planted this church, this Philippian church. Um, and so he planted this church. He loves these people. Like, think of the, the theme of this book as kind of rejoice, right? It, it's a book that you'll hear it over and over again. Rejoice. Take joy. Have joy. It's going to be a constant theme in this book. He really, really cares about these people. Paul cares about this church. And this was written in about AD 62, okay? And he's in prison in Rome, most likely chained up to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, under watch of a Roman soldier. And he's penning this beautiful letter that he sends to the Philippians uh, that eventually made it all the way into our Christian Bible. And so now we have this letter that was written from a prison that we now read, and we're reading here this morning. We're going to learn from it today. So he's just prayed for them, and then he says this in verse 12. We'll go there with me. It says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me. That what has happened to me. And if you have your Bible, underline this statement of optimism, just so you know that this isn't out of anywhere. It says this, has, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And I love this because he looks at this, like, just think about this. He is in prison. He is in chains. He is chained up to a guard. And he says, hey, guys, it's okay because these chains are actually accomplishing my goal. Me being in prison is actually accomplishing my goal. What is his goal in life? It is to advance the gospel. And so he's saying, even me being here can advance the gospel. And so this is what's happening. This is really convicting. He's saying this, that, man, these other people, man, if they're talking about me, then they're talking about Jesus. That is, that is amazing. Paul's life was so intertwined with Christ that he's saying when people talk about me, they can't help but talk about Jesus. Because he lived a lifestyle that so portrayed and so imitated that that he saw in Jesus that when people talk about Paul, they're literally talking about Jesus because this dude lived his whole life proclaiming the gospel. Sharing, hey, did you know Jesus rose from the dead? That he was a substitution for you so you didn't, he took on the penalty of sin so you didn't have to. Paul's out there sharing the gospel. Man, he rose from the dead on the third day. He's ascended and seated at the right hand of God. He's telling people the gospel. And so when people talk about Paul, they're talking about Jesus. The two topics go hand in hand. Then something happens, and he says the church is being strengthened in the midst of this adversity. Why? Like fear is, is such a powerful motivator, right? Like if you're afraid to do something, you can really get frozen in fear. Anyone ever been frozen in fear? When I was like a little kid, there was a mouse in my room. I couldn't even scream. I was like this little, you know. I was kind of like a little scared punk, you know. But, but like just a little mouse came by. I couldn't, I couldn't move. I was frozen in fear. But if you're afraid, you're like, man, I, I don't want to do that. Well, you know, they're afraid to share the gospel because if you share the gospel, you might be thrown in prison. And Paul's like, no, no, prison's good. No, prison's good. Yeah, yeah, God uses prison. And somebody out there said amen. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but truly, God uses prison. And it's like this. Has anyone ever been cliff jumping? Anybody? 
I don't know, is, does Lucky Peak have cliffs that you jump off of? Anybody? I don't know. So I remember there was a time we went to Mexico, and, and there was these cliffs, and I, was, I remember being a kid. My parents took us there. I must have been, I don't know, 12, something like that. And uh, we went cliff jumping, and you, you stand on the edge of the cliff, right? And it's kind of like you look over, you're like, that's a long way down. You know, and you're kind of just like easing up to it. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And then you guys, come on, everyone's got this friend that's just like, let's go, woo, like gainer off the back down into the water. And you're like, is there rocks down there? They go under and you're just like, they died. You know, and they're still under there and there's like bubbles coming up and you're like, they caught seaweed at the bottom, like something happened, right? Like the Loch Ness Monster grabbed them, something happened. But then they finally come up, right? They burst out like, they come out of the water and they fist pump, big smile on their face. And you're like, fear turns into fear of missing out. FOMO hits really bad because more people start jumping off the cliff and woo, they're having fun until finally you're like, I got to do it. And you run and you jump off the cliff and everything ends up being okay. We all have that kind of situation in life. And this is really what Paul's talking about. This thing that you were afraid of, when someone else endures it, all of a sudden you're strengthened. And that's really what's going on here. We see the apostle Paul in prison. He's been sharing the gospel and he's literally been persecuted and thrown in prison. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's gone through all these situations. And yet he's still optimistic because the gospel necessitates optimism because we know how the story ends and so that's what we see these people are being strengthened because the apostle Paul endured this and they're afraid of what he has endured but they're strengthened when they see and when they hear him say hey God's using this so if he shares the gospel if he's willing to go to prison if he's willing to put his life on the line then everyone else says hey I'm willing to do that too. And all of a sudden, the church is strengthened through this gospel-driven optimism. So if you take a note, write this down. Number one, optimism inspires others. And this is Leadership 101, okay? Leadership 101, optimism inspires others. If you're leading others, if you're leading an organization, a team, if someone's looking to you for direction, if, if they're looking for you as really... Um, the person that's going to set the tone in the business, your attitude, your fear, your motivators is what's going to set the tone for your entire staff and your entire team. Now, I want to read something from the Harvard Business Review. There was an article put out um, a number of years ago by the Harvard, Harvard Business Review called Primal Leadership. And I'm just going to read you some quotes from this article. This is from, by the way, two years of research. Two years of research concluded this. You ready? The leader's mood and behaviors drive the moods and behaviors of everyone else. A leader needs to make sure that not only is he or she regularly in an optimistic, authentic, and high-energy mood, but also that through their chosen actions, their followers feel and act that way too. This last line, listen. Emotional leadership is the spark that ignites a company's performance, creating a bonfire of success or a landscape of ashes moods matter that much. And listen, you're not just here to be a better leader this morning, right? Now listen, that's a awesome. Like if that's the byproduct of being a disciple and you become an awesome leader, then rock and roll. Like go take over the world um, and do it for Jesus. But, but, but that's just a byproduct. But think about just your home, leading your home for a second. Gentlemen, men in the room, think about leading your home, husbands, men. When you walk in the door and it's been a long day, like usually you just want to, I mean, come on, I've been there. 
You want to just go straight to the dinner table. You're tired. You're dragging. Work was rough. Something happened that just upset you. Your boss did something. A client did something. Something fell apart. And you're tired, and you just want to go home, eat some dinner, and go to bed. And that's like the way you want to walk in the house. Maybe, maybe you've seen uh, 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 something happen during your day that really just made you just, it set you off. It made you angry. And so you're just trying to, to, to kind of vent it out and you're just trying to think about it. And so you walk in the door and, and you sit down at the dinner table and your, your, your oldest son's like, hey, dad, man, I really scored a great, I got an A on my math test. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, buddy. That's great. Daddy, daddy, the little, your little girl's looking at you. Daddy, daddy, go on to see what I made. Look what I made in art class. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome, sweetie. And it's easy to just set the mood of your home because you're not in a good mood, because you're carrying it home with you. Listen, you're setting the atmosphere. Anyone ever heard it? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Listen, parents, you set the mood for your children. You set the tone of your household. Husbands, you set the tone of your household. Lead where it matters most. Lead where it matters most. But it's amazing how children are impacted. I don't know who grew up in a home like this, but if you remember, you remember your parents fighting? Some of us do. Some of you don't. Some of you have amazing parents. I remember moments like that, hiding outside my parents' bedroom door, listening to them fight, wondering if they were going to make it. I remember being under the kitchen table a couple times. I remember moments where I was hiding, trying to hear what was really happening. It's amazing the anxiety that produces in a child. It's amazing how we as parents, in leading our home, can either produce fear and anxiety in our children or confidence and resiliency. We have to be careful about how we lead our home. Or maybe it's the road trip, right? You know, we can do the same thing as parents. Road trip and windshield wipers are doing this. You know what I'm saying? Like the rain's just coming down and you're staring. And it's like, hey, dad, shh, quiet. I'm trying to focus. You know what I mean? It's like you can get snappy. You can get snappy because you're trying to focus, trying to keep them safe. But it, it's so important that we, we're careful about our words and we're careful about how we speak. It affects the whole family. But see, Paul's optimism here, it serves a purpose of his life mission. It serves a purpose of his goals. And it's, it's the same way with moving the gospel forward. As he's optimistic, others are tempted, willing to, driven to, continue to advance the gospel with him. As he's setting the mood for his followers, as he's setting the mood for the church, he's setting the mood that they would continue to advance and push forward in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of pain, in the midst of persecution. And great leaders live by this motto. Write this down. It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. And I know that, listen, some of you might say, like, that sounds naive or ignorant to say something like that. But, but let me say this. I think it strengthens your team. I think it strengthens your home when you can look in the midst of poor circumstances, in the midst of a bad financial situation, whatever it means, and instead of going to the place of we're never going to make it, we're going to be homeless, we're going to be on the street, our company's going under. If you as a leader can look at your staff and say, hey, we're going to pull through this. We're going to put our heads together. God's going to work this out. 
When we can lead in that kind of way, in that kind of strength of, hey, this is all going to work out, all of a sudden something about it just works, works together for good. I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, we wanted to go do uh, like a big summer camp thing, and we were looking at all these different camps, and uh, everything that we had tried to book kind of fell through, and so we ended up having to do it at the church which if you are a youth kid, listen, you remember back in the day, having to do stuff at the church was the worst. You wanted to be gone from your parents, okay? <laughs> so you're like, man, I gotta go back home at night. But we decided to flip it and make it the most awesome camp friends you've ever seen. So I found a local water truck and I asked them if they would donate thousands of gallons to turn our acreage, we had some acreage behind the church, and I hired an excavation company to dig out this hole and filled it into a mud pit, filled it with discount. I went to discount tires, said, give me all your old tires, filled it up, and we had a tire war. And these kids have never had more fun in their entire lives. You should see these kids kicking each other, like pulling tires, like driving them in the mud, like they had the best time ever. But it was a situation that could have been a real negative, could have been a major letdown, but when leadership is able to turn something that looks negative and say, hey, we're gonna find some positive in this, all of a sudden, what was a letdown and a bummer became a memorable moment that marked their lives. And we can see the same thing. That's what leaders do in our work situations, at home, in the midst of even tragedy, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of that kind of situation. We can still have this response of, hey, this is hard and this is painful and this is the worst, but it's all going to work out. God's going to use this for his glory. And I know that seems so difficult to say. When you lose somebody, when something happens that you just are, it's unfathomable. You just, you don't even know how you're going to make it through. It seems so naive. It seems so pointless to say something like that. But when we can have that attitude of, hey, it's all going to work out. It's going to be okay. It's amazing how it strengthens the people around us and it strengthens us. When the wheels fall off, when leadership can point, especially in a church, and say, listen, things are going to be okay because God is at work, and he is an awesome God, and he's still driving, and he's still in control, and he never lets us down. It strengthens the church. When my overseers, the people that, that oversee me, when the people that I'm accountable to, when the people that lead me in my life do this, when they lead their churches, when they lead their congregations, when they lead uh, people like me, and they're showing us the example that they put forward in faith, in sharing the gospel, advancing the gospel in their cities and in their communities. Listen, for those of us that they lead, it strengthens us. It builds my resiliency. When I see, when I see mentors in Texas and when I see mentors in Salt Lake and they're pushing their churches and their communities forward and they're taking gospel-driven risks with gospel-driven optimism, it makes me say, we're going to take the city of Boise. We're going to see change. We're not going to be the 28th most unchurched city in the nation. We're going to see life-giving churches planted. And when churches come in to plant, we're giving them money. And we're giving them resources. And we're going to bless them. Another, that church planter we gave money to, I just gave him some equipment last week because he was looking at a venue that this church used to meet in. And they needed equipment, and we had it in the back, so we just gave it to him. That's the kind of church that we're going to be. We're going to be a church that plants churches. We're going to be a church that supports churches. We're going to be a church that honors churches. Now listen, I know that this gospel-driven optimism thing, it seems like a lot for you because it's like, man, like, like I said, it makes me, when people are optimistic, want to just do the same. When, when people jump off the cliff and they come up smiling and fist bumping, it makes me want to jump off the cliff. 
And that is exactly what the overseers do for me. That's what I want to do for you guys. And I know that some of you are having a mix of emotions right now. And you're like, well, can, can I not be sad? No, you can be sad. You can, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to have emotions. Remember the shortest verse in all the Bible? Anyone remember that verse? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. So the one who's about to raise him from the dead. Lazarus is about to be brought back to life. Yet Jesus took time to grieve with those who grieved. But we don't grieve as the world does that has no hope. We have hope in Jesus. So can you be sad? Sure, you can be sad. Just don't stay there because we know how it ends. You know what's waiting for you. You know where this is going. You know that gospel-driven optimism leads people to share the gospel fearlessly. So some of you want your kids to share the gospel. Some of you want to be like, Pastor, how do we, how do we get our kids to like share their faith and own it? Own yours. Jump off the cliff. Come up and fist pump and smile at them. Say it's okay. Show your faith. Share your faith with your children. Share your faith with those around you. Let them see you sharing your faith with a stranger, sharing your faith with a friend, sharing your faith with a neighbor. And watch how it impacts them to share their faith with their friends. Watch how it changes them. When you come up and you're okay, when, even when someone doesn't respond the right way, when they're angry or bitter or they reject it, show them that, hey, I'm okay. We're going to keep moving forward. I talked about this last week. You have nothing to lose, but they have everything to gain. Let's dive back in. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of good will. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He's saying there are two kinds of people. And he goes on, he says this. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And it's okay, so some of you might be saying, well, Pastor Len, he just went negative. Right there, he got negative. Okay, watch, verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I'm sad? No. Because of this, I rejoice. I have joy. He says there are two kinds of people. One preached the gospel for selfish ambition and gain. One preached the gospel for bad reasons. One preached the gospel for good reasons, to continue the advancement of the kingdom of God. Two different people, two different reasons. But he's saying, like, when we think of people preaching for selfish ambition or gain, we might, like, our minds probably go to, like, prosperity theology, Right? We go to the name it and claim it kind of stuff. While that could kind of apply in this situation, I don't think that's exactly what Paul was talking about here. Most likely what's going on is the, the leader of the church, the leader of the way, Paul has been, been, been put into prison, and now people see an opportunity. Hey, I, there's an opportunity. Some people are like, hey, hey, we need to, Paul's in prison. We need to continue to preach the gospel for the advancement of the kingdom. Come on. People are still lost. Come on, they're going to hell. We need to see them saved. We have an opportunity. We need to share Jesus to a lost and dying world. They have good reasons. But then there's people that are like, hey, this is my opportunity to be the guy. This is my opportunity to, to seize authority, to seize power, to, to, to take on leadership. This is my opportunity to make much of me. And, and therein, friends, it lies the problem. And I think what's going on here is he's saying, hey, some people came to stir up trouble for me. And what does that look like? I think it looks like drama. In this day and age, people were entertained by drama. 
We don't do that, right? They were entertained by drama. They go up to officials and they're like, hey, let me ask you a question. Did you hear about that Jesus guy? He died, they said, and rose again from the dead. Paul said it at least. That's, he's in prison now. That guy you locked up, man, that's crazy, right? So they're, they're stirring up drama and Paul's like, hey, listen, but they're still talking about Jesus. This is great. This is awesome. They can talk about me because when they talk about me, they're talking about Jesus. I love this. They're stirring up trouble by entertaining the drama all the while. Paul said, God can use this. See, Paul is not just optimistic. Paul is opportunistic. Opportunistic. Number two, optimism sees opportunity. Paul says, hey, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. And he told us in another letter that he wrote to the church of Colossae, from the exact same prison cell, he says this in Colossians 4 verse 5. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. And we can do that even if we disagree with someone about some things. How many of you know that we can, as long as the gospel is being preached, if we disagree on secondary or tertiary issues, we can still be friends, right? Like we don't have to agree on on everything. Listen, secure people who have embraced a God-given purpose. Celebrate the advancement of the gospel no matter whose mouth it comes through. When you are secure, so, so listen, if I'm chasing him and you're chasing him, we are friends, not enemies. And so Oasis City Church will never just be about Oasis City Church. We're going to celebrate what God's doing at Rock Harbor. We're going to celebrate what he's doing at Stonehill. We're going to celebrate what he's doing at Capitol and at Awaken and at Vineyard and at Riverhouse and at every Baptist church in this community, every Nazarene church in this community, every denominational church and non-denominational church in this community. If they're preaching the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that he was buried in the ground and rose three days later. Come on, we are going to celebrate that the gospel is advancing in our city, whether or not we agree on every little issue. That's the kind of church that we're building. You will never hear me disparage another church from this platform. You will never hear my staff disparage another church in a conversation in this church. And I expect if you call this place home, you will do the same. We honor. That is who Oasis City Church is. We are people of honor. We conduct ourselves with honor. At Oasis City Church, one of our values is we are governed by honor. We honor all people at all times. And we make a very clear distinction because in this day and age, honor culture in some churches has been used and abused to to have control of people. And so we make a clear distinction when we speak and when we write about this. We honor at all people at all times, but honor is about self-control, not control. We honor and we operate in self-control in how we speak and how we act in this church. There is power, friends, in unity. Power in unity in the body, working together to advance the gospel, celebrating together the advancement of the gospel moving forward. And I've heard it said by uh, one of my mentors that gospel is like holy jiu-jitsu. It's a martial art that, that uses your opponent's force against them. And so that's what the gospel does. It takes any force that's working against it and it flips it. And uses its force against it. It's like this idea of a fire. And they think that they're pouring water, but all they're doing is pouring gasoline. And the persecution. Listen, I was in 
uh, Indonesia, Brooke and I were over there for a month. Uh, we were in five different nations in Asia. And while we were in Indonesia, we asked the pastor's wife of one of the largest churches in Indonesia, hey, what can we pray for you for? Do you know what she said? She didn't say, oh, man, pray that we could get more campuses. You know, pray that God would just, woo, give us some new lighting. You know what she said? Pray for persecution. Because when we've been persecuted, the gospel advanced and we grew. I said, I'm probably not going to pray for that. <laughs> I'm going to pray that God protects you. But, but that's, that's the kind of heart that she had. Pray for persecution. Because when we are persecuted, we grow. That's the kind of faith that she had. That's the kind of faith I want. No matter what happens, God advance your kingdom. God, your will, not my will, be done. Can you imagine, though, <laughs> can you imagine, though, how hard it would have been to persecute Paul, to come against the apostle Paul? Like, it had to be mind-blowingly just frustrating, hair pulling out, like, like they just picture this, okay? Like, try, try to imagine what it would have been like for them to try to persecute Paul. Hey, we're going to throw you in jail. And Paul's just like, yeah, well, prison guards need Jesus too. You know, he's like, I'll just convert the whole prison, the whole palace guard, no, no problem. Well, then we're going to beat you. I rejoice in the sufferings of Christ. Go ahead. <laughs> just, okay. And then, okay, well, we're going to stone him to death and drag him outside the city. And he's like, ha-ha, you didn't kill me. I'm going back to the city. Like, he's just over and over. Okay, well, then I'm going to kill you. Let's kill him. To live is Christ. To die is gain. <laughs> just like over and over again. He's like, okay, well, well then we're going to chain him up to a guard and keep him in a prison cell. I'll just write the Bible. <laughs> well, put his hands in stocks. I'll just dictate to Timothy. Like over and over and over again. It's like, like ah, kill him to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like just over and over again, gospel-driven optimism. People would have been like, what do we do with this guy? But gospel-driven optimism sees opportunity even in opposition. Even when someone's working against you, there are opportunities to share the gospel. Verse 18 says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of his spirit, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Is that optimism? Yeah. It will turn out for my de deliverance. I know that it will. I love this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. Watch this. By life or by death. He's saying I'm not going to lose hope because I know how it ends. I know how the story ends. Last thing, optimism. Number three, optimism always overcomes. Optimism always overcomes, even death. Now, failure is often just a matter of when you give up, right? Like if you're down in points, and the game ends, the buzzer goes off, like, it's over, right? You, you, you lost. But this game isn't over until Jesus wins. And then it still isn't over. Like, like it's, it still isn't over. It's just one really, really long victory dance. Like, that's, that's what this is with the gospel. It's not over even when it's over. Gospel-driven optimism. Think about this term. What does it mean? If I had to say it in one word, what does gospel-driven optimism look like? In one word, it's faith. 
faith. It's the essence of things we hope for. It's, it's the essence of what we believe. He says, here's how my faith is strengthened. It's the prayers of others, the power of Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he says, a hope for the future, even at the end of my life, I hope for the future. And so let me ask you this, church. What are you most looking forward to when it comes to heaven? When you think about going to heaven and how amazing it's going to be, what are you most looking forward to? Think about the, the different situations that you might be in. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you might be saying like, I, man, I just picture what it's going to be like to embrace those relatives again. And, and for some of you, you may be thinking like, man, no, I just, I just can't wait. For some of you intellectuals in the room, you might be saying, I just can't wait to understand the mysteries of God. All those things I got questions about that. I finally get to explain Daniel and Revelation. And it just like, you might be really excited about that. For some other people, you might be like, Psh, yeah, forget all that stuff. Forever with Jesus face to face. I can't, I can't wait for that moment. For some of you that have issues with your body, your earthly body here, you may be saying, man, I can't wait for my glorified body. I can't wait to be able to, to walk without pain again. I can't wait to see my son. I can't wait to see my dad. I can't wait, whatever it is for you. I can't wait. Can't wait to be able to serve God forever. Because even when we're there, it's like he's limitless to continue to just search him and know him. I can't, I can't wait for that. And all those would be great answers. And I think all of us, when we, when we hear those things and we, and we just dwell and meditate and think on what it's going to be like to, to be in heaven, to be in right standing with God, with Jesus, forever, it strengthens us, doesn't it? It's encouraging. It brings courage, I know, to my heart when I think about these things, when I dwell on these things, when I think about what it's going to be like, man, my heart is strengthened. I get courage, though, from that understanding of the gospel, that the end is not the end. I get courage from knowing that death is not the end. For us, for those who know Jesus, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Listen, listen. We believe that the glass is half full because the tomb is fully empty. That's why we believe it. We believe the glass is half full because the tomb is fully empty. We believe that Christ rose from the dead. We, we believe that we have eternal life through a relationship with Jesus. We believe that we can live forever with God. That's the faith. That's the hope that we have, Christian. That, that's what we have because of Jesus, because of what he did. He paid the price for our sins so you don't have to suffer for your sins. He went to the cross for you so that you and I could be forgiven and made right with God. Come on, that's amazing. We get to be with God forever and ever because of what Jesus did. And so we see the world now through this lens of an empty tomb. And never again do we have to feel like this is never going to end, the current sufferings and pains, the shame, the struggle with sin, the moments of disillusionment. They're temporary, they are fleeting, but we get forever with Jesus. We get forever with him. Think about eternity, we, we, we reflect on it. This is what Paul did. I think if you remember with me, he, on the road to Damascus, he encountered the resurrected Lord. Paul encountered Jesus face to face, had a two-way conversation with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he, and he exercised his gifts 
in accordance to his faith, which was great. Paul had great faith. But listen, listen to this. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, said this about heaven in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. He said this, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion, but things began, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful, I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they're on the beginning of chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. And this was an illustration of the gospel, friends. And, and this is what I'm trying to just illustrate and paint to you today is that we get eternity with God. Do not lose sight of that. We get eternity with God. That, that's amazing. And eternity is the great equalizer. I mean, do you, do you understand what I mean by that? Eternity is the great equalizer. Listen, every one of you would take this trade. If I told you tomorrow is going to be the worst day of your life, you're going to experience some of the most unbelievable sufferings and some of the most tragic things that you could ever possibly fathom. Tomorrow is going to be filled with pain, filled with terrible, terrible things. But the day after that and every day on from that day will be beautiful will be perfect. You'll never experience pain again. But you first have to go through this painful day. Every one of you would take that deal. You say, I'll go through the day for eternity, for forever, of no more pain, of no more sadness, no more cancer, no more tears, no more pain. Every one of you would take that deal. And every one of you that has accepted the gospel in Jesus has taken on that deal. Our, our 77 or 88 or 104 years that we get in this life have some of the most painful and tragic moments that you can experience. There's loss and there's death and there's sin in this world and there's brokenness in this world. But afterwards, if you know Jesus, you don't ever have to experience shame or suffering, or pain, or sickness, or disease again, because all of that's gone. Every tear will be wiped away, and you will be made right with God. You'll live forever with Him in a state of, of unbelievable pleasure, eternal joy, running over, spilling out, un uncontainable joy, unspeakable, if you know Jesus. But if you don't know Him, You will not experience those things. And the pain and the torment, it will never end either. And I don't say that to try to scare you into faith. I say that because that is the reality. And I desire more than anything that you would come to know Jesus and know your value and know your worth because it is great. I was talking to a realtor friend of mine trying to explain the gospel to him. And I said, hey, what's a house worth? He said, what someone's willing to pay for it. I said, exactly. You are so valuable to God that he gave up his only son. Heaven went bankrupt for you 
so you could be forgiven and made right with God. That's how valuable you are. If you ever question your worth, look at Jesus. If you ever want to know how loved you are, you look at Jesus. You are valuable. You are loved. You are seen. You are not forgotten. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to put your faith in Jesus today, you want to accept the free gift of salvation that comes through a relationship with him that you don't have to earn. If that's you, would you put up your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. If that's you, would you put up your hand nice and high so I can pray for you? pray this prayer and I'm going to pray one more, but just pray this prayer with me, church. Just say, Dear Jesus, I give you my life from this day forward. I ask that you would walk with me and forgive me of my sins, my shortcomings, my mistakes. I repent. I turn away and I turn towards you. Give me grace and mercy. Help me to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for one more group of people. That's those of you in here that you need some joy. If you need some joy this morning, I'm not going to have you raise your hand do anything. I just want you to receive it. When we worship, as I pray, open your heart. Something about Sometimes something about our physical body, when we just can physically Stop crossing our legs and arms and just open ourselves up to a minute. Just say, God, whatever you want to do this morning. Something about our physical posture, I think posture is our spirit in, in some type of way. I don't know. I can't explain it, but I just know that even psychologically, there's something about being closed off. When we can open ourselves up and just say, God, whatever you have for me this morning, would you, would you do it? I want to pray for that. And then we're going to worship. Jesus, I pray right now for this church. For anyone that needs joy this morning, God, I pray for joy unspeakable, joy uncontainable. God, I pray for the joy of the Lord to be their strength this morning, God. I pray you would breathe on them this morning. Holy Spirit, would you ignite a passion in their heart for your word, a passion for prayer, a passion, God, to know you more, a passion to share the gospel boldly. I pray for gospel-driven optimism to overtake their lives, God. I pray, God, against moods and against lies about this is just who I am. I am just cynical. I am just negative. God, I break those lies in the name of Jesus, and we speak the truth of God over them, that they will be filled with joy. They will be marked by peace that everywhere they go God I pray in the name of Jesus God you would just strengthen their spirit God in the midst of unfortunate circumstances God would they be leaders would they be people that say hey it's all going to work out because God is good and he's going to use these things that look like evil that look like harm God's going to turn it around for my good and for his glory God we pray for every church in the valley this morning God we thank you for the church in the valley we thank you for the church in America we thank you for the church in the world, God. The church is your plan A to bring the good news to a lost and hurting world. May we speak well of the church of others. May we be governed by honor. God, help us to watch our hearts and our tongues. 
Lord, we love you, and it is an honor to serve you. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you love God, would you say amen? Amen. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to the Create Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps in your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at createchurch.co to get connected today.